The sermon lesson is taken from Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? This is the word of the Lord. Our good Father, we do come to you with uh, a thirst that only you can fill. And we ask that through your word, you would direct us to your Son and to your Spirit and to yourself as the source of life. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So both of my boys are serving in the nursery, which means I can talk about them, <laughs> uh, but nothing too embarrassing. But there was, there's an old picture that we have, that we have kept, and it's, it's Ethan when he was about six years old, uh, and Andy's when he's about two years old. And, and Ethan is kind of leaning back in this, in this makeshift desk, and his face, there's this kind of mixture of just like terror and laughter uh, that's going on him, and, and because what's in front of him is his little brother um, has this face of just pure rage is coming out to get him. And so Ethan's just, just stepping back like this, uh, and, and Andy is just doing whatever he can to try to get on his hands on his brother because uh, what's happened in typical fashion is uh, the story's not a new one. Ethan, his brother, has done uh, something to uh, instigate and to nudge, and uh, Andy responds with a certain type of rage. So it's like gasoline, match, fire, uh, it's all there. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking, well, it, it, it would be nice for me as their dad to, to say to you all where there's this one time years ago uh, when my two boys got into a fight and I sat down with them and I explained to them very clearly that um, you shouldn't fight with your brother. Uh, you're called to love your brother. And, and they, they looked at me with these eyes of wonder and it, and it, and it clicked. It's like the penny dropped and they got it and they said, we have never thought about that before. That is brilliant. This is a great idea. From now on, we are never, ever going to fight again. And then I went on to write a book called Perfect Parenting, international bestseller, speaking engagements, uh, all the sorts. 
We all know that's, that's not the way that, that parenting works. And, and kids who are listening, I, I'm not picking on you because you actually are much quicker learners than adults. And it's often easier to teach you lessons than it is to teach us lessons who are a lot more set in our ways. What, what this gets at is, is how we learn and how we grow is actually a lot more difficult and a lot more complicated and often a lot more painful uh, than we want it to be. And we're, we're seeing this once again in the life of Israel. And so if two weeks ago you, you weren't here for our last sermon on Exodus, you don't have to worry because it's the exact same lesson over and over again. What we're seeing is that there, there is a lesson that God has taught His people and is teaching this people that just still doesn't seem to have gone down deep enough. And so God, like a good parent, like a good teacher, comes back with the same lesson and is working to help it go deeper in the lives of His people, out of wisdom, out of love. It's not just, okay, I, I learned this, check, now moving on, what's next? What we're seeing once again is that life in the wilderness is a place of difficulty. It's a place of confusion, of hardship, of loss, of grief. Life in the wilderness is the place where God is. And it's the place where God is at work. And what we're seeing again here this morning is that God is doing two different things in the life of His people in the midst of wilderness. The wilderness is a place where need is being exposed, and the wilderness is a place where grace is being experienced. And this is not just a lesson for Israel a long time ago, but this is a lesson for us, something that we need to learn, and not just once, but something that we need to learn again and again and again. And so here's where we're going this morning. Life in the wilderness Need is exposed, grace is experienced, and along the way, what it all means for us. So first, life in the wilderness is the place where need is being exposed. And so remember where we have been in our journey through Exodus. Israel's trapped in slavery, forced into bitter service. They're oppressed, they're violently mistreated, and they're in this place where they have no hope. But they are not alone. That's what we've seen. Page after page that God is the one who is with them. God is the one who sees their suffering. God is the one who hears their cries for help. And what we've also seen is through these mighty works, God has rescued the people that He loves. And then the people have experienced His power, His grace and mercy in such a way that their hearts overflow with celebration. They sing a song. Who is like you, they say, majestic and awesome. Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. And so everything in Exodus has been building up to this deliverance where they have been set free. And it's easy for us to think this is the end of the journey. This is what their story was all building up to, and this is what it's about. Let's move on. But what we are seeing is that this is actually just the beginning of their story. And up to this point, the focus of their troubles have been an out there kind of troubles. Uh, it's Egypt, it's slavery, it's Pharaoh, it's 
oppression. It's things that are outside of us. And as they have been set free and are now being led through the wilderness, what is being revealed and exposed is that really the the most dangerous problems they face are not out there kind of problems, but the most dangerous problems they face are in here kind of problems. And we see this right after the bat. Just, Just three days after this great deliverance, after this great song, they come to a place where the water is bitter. And they complain to the Lord and they complain to Moses and God moves towards them with grace and mercy. And He makes this bitter water sweet. And He leads them to a place where there are more fountains and where there is more shade. They experience His goodness and His provision. Then less than two months later, they find themselves in a place where they are hungry and there is no food. And they turn against the Lord. They grumble saying, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So they're they're confused about both what they have been brought out of and about the God who has been with them and who has been for them. And so in their hunger, we see once again, God moves towards them in grace, mercy, provision. He gives them bread. Not just a little bit of bread, but abundance for everyone to have everything that they need. And not just for one day, but for every day, feeding His people. And the lesson at this point is clear. Yes, life in the wilderness is difficult. But God is with us. God is for us. And we can trust Him. And it's easy to think, okay, we've learned this lesson. Check. Moving on. What's next in the school of faith? Where else do we need to grow? Because that whole trusting God in the wilderness thing, uh, we've obviously mastered that. So what's next for us? And and what we're seeing in this passage just, just days later is that this message about trust, about who God is for His people has not sunk in quite as deeply as they thought. And they find themselves in a new place of difficulty. And what happens is the same questions come up. The same questions are exposed in their hearts. Is God really good? Is God really with us? Is God really for us? Can God really be trusted? Because they know that they are in this place where they are by God's leading. Look at the opening verse. They've moved through these wilderness and stages according to the commandment of the Lord. They have been faithfully following God where He is leading, but now they have come to a place where there is no water. And so what this does, once again, is it it creates or it reveals a tension in their hearts. Following God has brought us to a place of difficulty and confusion and hardship. And how do these go together? And not having water is a big deal in the middle of the wilderness with you, your family, your children, your livestock. This is it's not a whim. This is a matter of life and death. And in this moment, in this place of thirst and need, they have different ways in which they can respond. One potential response is 
is to say, let us look back and see where we have been. God was with us in the midst of our slavery. God brought us out with power and with love. When water was bitter, He made it sweet. When we were hungry, He gave us food. And if you think about it, we actually just ate that food this morning. Not us, but them. And so surely, the God who has done all of this, now that we find ourselves thirsty, surely He will still take care of us. But their struggle really exposes something different going on in their hearts. And their words are very revealing. They say, why did you bring us out of Egypt? To kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And their grumbling has has turned violent where they are ready to put Moses on trial and publicly execute him. That's the level of anger that they are feeling at where they are and what's going on. In light of all that they've been through, this is the place where they have come. And this is what's going on in their hearts. How are they making sense of life in the wilderness? God and Moses, you have brought us out here to die. And that was actually the plan all along. And we want out of whatever this thing is. So that, that's, I want you to see that's the story that they are living in. But the problem is, it's not a true story. I think back when I was uh, about nine years old, one summer I went off to uh, a camp, extended kind of stay away, and, and most of the time we spent the, the evenings in these cabins, the air conditioning and everything was provided for, but there was one time where we, we went out and, and did actual camping in, in the wilderness. And so as we, were, as we were going out there, our counselor we thought we were just going out there just to have fun. That's what we did. But our counselor told us the real reason why we were going out there. It's because uh, at one of the local prisons, uh, a couple of inmates had, had broken out. And they were coming towards the camp. And for safety reasons, they figured that it would be best to, to put the children in different areas uh, to not keep them all together. So I, I'm nine years old hearing this story with a bunch of other nine-year-olds in the dark woods around a fire uh, with our fearless 15-year-old counselor. <laughs> um, what, what I'm feeling in that moment is, is sheer terror, okay? But trying not to show it, trying to be brave. Uh, then it starts raining, and so then, then I go into my little tent with these other nine-year-olds. There's no adults here. Uh, you can't see, you know, now there's no fire anymore. You can't see what's going on outside. Uh, and so like every noise, you know what it means. Uh, they found us and, and this is the end. And so I got so scared. I went to be with my counselor. Um, and he looked at me and said, oh, no, that was just a joke. We were just kidding about that. <laughs> uh, we're just out here to have fun. That's... Uh, just thought it would be a fun story. There's no prisoners on the loose. There's no one to uh, get you. Um, <laughs> I know, counseling. I'm, I'm going through it. <laughs> for, for that time, 
uh, I was living in, in, a, in a very bad story. Um, this story explains what's happening here, why we're out here, what we should be afraid of, what's going to happen to us. Um, it, it was a frightening story, but it wasn't a real story. It wasn't grounded in reality. That, that story was, was shaping us. There actually was a different story, a better story, a true story. We're, we're fine. There's no prisoners out to get us. We're safe. We're in good hands. This is all part of the plan. And we're all having fun. Um, that, that true, better story, immediately, I do, re- I do remember just the sense of just incredible peace that just I felt when I realized that, oh, that's not true, that, that actually that story's not real. I want you to think about what's happening to Israel in this moment of difficulty. And the story that they are telling themselves about what's happening. How they are trying to make sense of their reality. Um, they're, they're telling themselves a very bad story about who God is. And about what His heart is for them and what His intentions are for them. And as they sit in that story, it produces an incredible amount of fear, anxiety, and anger. But the problem is the story they are telling themselves is completely at odds with what is really happening. As you think about your own life, what kind of stories do you tell to try to make sense of the difficulties that you face? Because we all do this. We all live in this wilderness, in this place of difficulty, hardship, confusion. And we are all meaning makers. We are all telling stories about who God is, about who we are, about who other people are for us. We're trying to make sense of it. And some of the stories we tell are just terrible stories because they don't line up with reality. And what God is trying to do in the wilderness is to expose these places in our hearts where we are not living in the real story, the true story. And He's trying to press deeper into our hearts and minds. This is the real story. This is the true story. This is a better story that I want you to live in fully because it's a story of life. So, but this learning process is hard. And this brings us to, to our second and final point, that in the wilderness, hearts are being exposed. But more than that is happening. Grace, grace is being experienced. That God has a bigger purpose for us even in the wilderness. So most gems in the world are, are mined from the earth. Uh, but there, there is one gem that is found and gained from a living organism, and it's a pearl. And what happens to the f- formation of a pearl is, is a small piece of debris, even something, something as simple as a piece of sand, will get inside of an oyster. And this piece of debris becomes an irritant. It's not supposed to be there. It's not natural. And so it, it begins to rub. It creates pain. It creates irritation. And in an act of self-protection, what the oyster does is it, is it secretes a certain chemical, the same chemical that it uses to make its shell. And it secretes this chemical around this irritant in order to protect itself. And it continues to do this in such a way that this piece of debris takes on a new color. It takes on a new coating and it becomes something beautiful. It becomes something valuable. It becomes a pearl. And so what we see is something that started out very painful 
has somehow become something very beautiful and precious. And it's strange to think about it, but actually the, the, the bigger and uh, more painful the debris, the, the bigger and the more beautiful tends to be the pearl. Uh, what we often don't realize is God is doing something similar in our lives. That we all have these little irritants that, that sink in. And our immediate response is that life would be better with, without this irritant. And if God would be good, then this irritant would be taken out of our lives. And, and what we don't realize is that there is something else that God is doing. There is something else that He is creating. That God is using in the life of this people these very real irritants to create something beautiful. When, when they turn against God and when they turn against Moses, there's once again many different ways God could respond to this people. But God uses this opportunity again to say, I will show you once again that I am with you. I will show you once again that I am for you. I will show you once again that I can be trusted. And he says in verses 5-6, through six, Take some of the elders and go before the people, and I will stand before you on the rock, and you will strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So God appears before the people and Moses takes this stick, this sign of blessing and judgment. He strikes the rock that God is standing on and from this stricken rock flows water. Not just a trickle, but in abundance. This is life flowing out to a rebellious and wandering and resistant and hardened people. This is life flowing out People not getting what they deserve. This is grace. The people asked in, in verse 7, is the Lord among us or not? Is God really with us? And what the answer coming from this rock and, and all this water flowing out is a clear and definitive yes. Yes, He is, he is still with us. Yes, He is still for us. Nothing has changed except for us and our own just fickle hearts. In the wilderness, need is exposed in more ways than we feel comfortable with, but also grace is experienced in ways that could not have been experienced otherwise. When the New Testament, when Paul looks back on these events, he, he makes a surprising connection. He looks back on this stricken rock that was pouring out water to give life to the people, and he says, that was Jesus. That rock was a real manifestation and a real sign that would point forward to a greater rock that would be struck with a greater blow, and out of that stricken rock would flow greater water. Not just water for the body, but a, a kind of living water for the soul. Which is why we can hear these words from Jesus when He says, if anyone is thirsty, let them come to Me and drink. 
And again, to this young woman who was thirsty at a well, he says, everyone who drinks that, that water is going to be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give will never thirst. It's going to become like a spring of water that wells up, that leads to eternal life. So we also, as we find ourselves in, the, in these places of wilderness, we will find ourselves in places of confusion, places of difficulty, places of loss, places where we feel like we have been following faithfully. How did we get here? Why did life take this turn? And we find ourselves asking that very same question. Is the Lord among us or not? Is the Lord really with us or not? Is the Lord really for us or not? And what Paul is saying is we can look to Jesus and have an even clearer answer. Yes, God is with us. Yes, God is for us. Yes, God can be trusted because this is the true rock who gives us the true water at a great cost to himself, at the cost of his own life. And as you think about what this looks like for your own life, I want to leave you just with These words of invitation, these words of life to weary people in a weary world that come from Jesus, that are for you today, for you tomorrow, and for you every day. If anyone thirsts, let them come and drink. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for descending into our wilderness and for Your faithfulness and goodness. We acknowledge our our own faithlessness, but we thank You that You uh, abound in grace and You abound in mercy. Uh, You have gone to great lengths to be good to us, to save us. And so we pray that You would help us not just to think right things about You, but to truly come to You as the water of our souls. That our faith would not just be something in our heads, or in our behavior, but something that is is a genuine matter of the heart that manifests itself in how we live. Fill us, we pray, with your life. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.